And he said, now you're coming as a black girl and you want to sit next to us. I said, my girl, there's nothing wrong with your flying. It's the men you want to sit next to who are having an issue with you. It was a turnaround moment for me. And this was shortly after I was put on the front pages of the newspaper. So people think everything is going well. In the meantime, <laughs> the very same people who put me on the front page, I wanted to get rid of me quietly. And that, that you know, sort of resuscitated something within me. And So how did you get through and, that? And, and how did you... I, I, I just started fighting. Hello and a warm welcome to the Change Exchange, where we talk about change, how we make it happen and how we deal with it when life makes it happen. We talk to South Africans who are taking leading roles in the world, often coming from humble beginnings. In one generation, they are changing their own and often their families' lives and in the process changing our country. Joining me at the microphone, Dr. Frank Magwegwe, who teaches financial wellness and personal empowerment at Gibbs in Johannesburg. And one of the main areas of research in his life is the science of change. Today's guest is a pioneer like so many others we've met, Asnath Mahapa, the first black female South African pilot and these days also the founder of an aviation school. Asna, thank you so much for finding time for us. It's great to have you. Thank you for having me. (laughs) It's great to be here. If we talk about in one generation, you you really have that that almost classic South African story of um, what Setlhani Manshiri also said to us, the dusty rural village, no running water, no electricity. But both your parents were teachers. Yes. Give us a quick picture of that time, that growing up as a little girl. Because we were in a village, we were really protected. I always say we were protected from the realities of what was happening in the country at the time. You went to school, you came back home. But um, You were born in 79, so yes, we're talking the 80s. The 80s, yeah. So I never got to experience that time, really. But, you know, I had a mother. My, my mother was something else. I grew up with a mother who, as, as much as she passed on quite early in life, but um, she always studied. That's all I saw. My mother studied a lot. I mean, by the time she passed on, she was busy with her masters. You know, and she passed on at my age, at 43. So that's what we knew. She started um, one of the teachers' colleges. She was the vice director there uh, at Bochum College. And... Um, so when she goes to the college, she would wear high heels. And then when she's home, she'd go and fetch the water, you know. But everything was done in a way that um, everything had to be done properly. So you, you couldn't, it was better to just do well at school than to come back and answer to my mother. It was, <laughs> it was easier. It was an easier route, you know. Um, because there was no excuse if if you came up and and my father was very similar. I think it's so interesting, you know, the picture <clears throat> you've painted about your mom, because it really takes us to you'll be pleased to hear to a change formula. So we spend a lot of time, you know, in my research at uh, at Gibbs, just thinking about how do people navigate change. How do people think about change? So we're so privileged to have you today to help our listeners realize that change is not really 
a black box is often people associate it with when they see you on google we're talking earlier about you know people googling you and you come up and they look at all your achievements often people would say that's her yeah. she's special she's different from me she's a different parent there's no way i could have navigated change like that so part of what you're trying to do here is help our listeners realize that change is associated with ways of thinking. We're trying to answer the question, what do people who navigate change well do differently from those we don't? So we've got this lovely change formula, and, and I, I asked Ruda if I can come in here, because already what I sense, though you didn't use those words, I think your mom was dissatisfied with kind of the status quo. Yes. She, she wanted a life, she wanted the lives of people around you in the community and of course you the kids to improve and that dissatisfaction or change formula we say you need d it stands for dissatisfaction then i also want to argue that your mom had a vision of you and the community and the college she founded that was quite different from where she was when she was starting out the college, right? So change requires someone to have this big, even audacious vision, a compelling vision. So that's our V in the change formula. And of course, to start the college, your mom had to take baby steps, right? She had to start somewhere. And in our change formula, that's the F. So we say change only happens when those three things are in place. When we say D times V, times F is greater than resistance to change. When those are in place, and of course we are deliberately saying times, not plus, none of those can be zero. And we can see in your mom's story. It must, be, must have been absolutely horrifying for a girl at the age of 13 to lose this really important person in her life. You know, funny enough, um, I think when you're that young, you just walk through life. Life just happens. Life just happens. So you are on <laughs> autopilot. This happened to my mother. And once her mother passes on in the family, even when you go home, it looks dark. The house just looks dark. Doesn't matter whether the lights are on or not, you know. And so for me, it was, I took a, I took a decision at that young age that I was going to become something. Because already, I said, if my mother is not here, if she can go, even this man can go, my father can go. So if I don't make something of myself, um, what what's going to happen to me? I need to stand I on my own feet. I need to stand on my own two feet. So even the dating side of things, when girls were getting excited, I just thought, nah, this is, I must make something of myself. And passing a trick properly was one of those goals that I had. But it's also that choice, Frank, that we've talked about for, uh, in other stories as well, that some people might be knocked down and say life is overwhelming, life is unpredictable, I can and live in fear, get under the blanket and stay there. Yeah. Or you make this choice. And I noted that I'm so happy you linked that because I was thinking of our guest, um, uh, Sarah Kumalo. So what we see here, again, back to the change formula, can you see setting up a vision as a 13-year-old? And I don't need to know exactly what it is. I'm going to become something first. Then we also had here saying, when others were thinking about kind of dating and all that at, at, at that young age, I was thinking about busting my trick. So I was, my baby step 
was I need to get a good metric. And so what we see is the following. Often when we have big changes in life, right, like the passing on of a sibling, passing off a, of a parent, some people, it just knocks them down. It's so huge, right? They, 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 they struggle to deal with it. Yet for some people, they acknowledge the brutal reality. This is what has happened. And amazingly, they are able to have perspective. You remember that big academic where they use mental agility. Some people have a level of resilience that allows them to process life like that because resilience is a little bit of biological component to it. And then it's got a bigger component, which is your social support, which is your optimism, uh, which is your reframing of problems, for example. So perhaps a level of resilience as a 13 year old helped there to reframe and say, okay, I'm going to become something. I need to get a good metric and then off I go. People don't spend a lot of time thinking about financial services. They simply think about the money they need to do things and the things they need to do with money. That's why at Brightrock, we don't think of ourselves as a financial services provider. Rather, we're a money company. In fact, we're the needs-matched money company. Everything we do is about meeting people's changing needs. That's why we created the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. And because we want to meet people's changing needs throughout their lives, we set out to learn everything and share everything there is to know about change. We call it change science and you can learn all about it at the change exchange a free resource that's filled with tips tools and inspiring stories to help you navigate change in your life you can find more on changeexchange.co.za or on your preferred podcast platform just search for change exchange made just for you by brightrock the first ever needs matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Welcome back to Change in One Generation, where our guest is South Africa's first black female pilot, Asnath Mahapa. Mm. Asnath, and I'm going to take you quite far, uh, fast forward a bit through your life. Um, there was a moment when a young girl saw an aeroplane and said, someone's in charge of that big machine. I'm going to do that, which is, I mean, it's just so out of your reality at that point. But your dad wants you to get a, a kind of ordinary, straightforward degree. So you go off to UCT, you start. But then in the course of your first year, you say no. This is not. Tell, tell us about that decision. Okay, so when I got to metric, um, the norm was to apply to university beginning of the year, um, and I didn't. So my father, I think it was Easter time, said, um, did you apply to university? I said, no. Why not? I want to become a pilot. And he immediately said no. And I understand. Now I understand why. This was a man who had never seen an aeroplane close by. He'd never been on one. I'd never been on one. <laughs> and I think it was more fear than anything, really. So it was so foreign. It, it was so foreign to him that I said to him, okay, I'll go to university, but there needs to be some level of an you know, arrangement here. If I don't enjoy university, can you at least 
give this thing a thought. If I don't enjoy university, can I try it? You know, the following year. He said to me, okay. But I think he was hoping it yeah. was never going to happen. That you'd outgrow this mad <laughs> idea. <laughs> so I, I went to varsity and um, that whole year I made friends. I mean, I enjoyed Friday was the... That was my time. Yeah. I enjoyed Fridays and Saturdays and Sundays because yeah. I didn't. I did not have to be in class. Yeah. Um, but I did not enjoy engineering. You did engineering. At all. No, yeah, mm-hmm. I did not enjoy it at all. I mean, I felt, I felt useless. I felt stupid. I felt, I, I, I did not know what I was doing there. So I had no interest. I, I, I was not focusing on anything. Um, so during the course of the year, I called him. I said to him, "This is not working." I'm not enjoying myself here and I'm wasting money. And uh, he said to me, you know what? We agreed that you're going to do the year. Just do the year. If you're still feeling the same way end of the year, we'll talk about it. So come end of the year, the first thing I did when I got home, I said to him, here I am. I'm not going back. So what are we doing? And that's where it all began. How I learned about the flight schools and the costs and all of that was through magazines because I didn't know anybody who in, you know, in aviation. So I just bought magazines with my pocket money from school and I started reading about aviation. And um, so I knew it was expensive. But as a child, you think your parents have money. Of course, you know. <laughs> so I remember running around <laughs> with my dad going to FNB and he was telling them that this child wants to be a pilot and uh, they, they, they rejected the application. They said no. And at the time, I didn't know how much money my mother had left for us, her children. So we went back and forth until someone told my father that um, when we, because he could get access to a certain amount of money every year. Then when he went to access money for that year, he was told, and he, he said, no, this child needs to study this. There's no money. And he was told that, no, as long as it's education, you can access that money. We must just get a letter from the institution and then we send money directly to the institution. You don't get it, we send it directly. And that's how I funded my flying. And your first day uh, walking in there in this environment where you had wanted to be since you were little? Yes. It was, it was an odd thing because I walked in and I don't think I, rem- I remember seeing any black person there. It was just white men and a white lady who was a receptionist. Um, yeah, but uh, I walked in and uh, I was given a bag and the, the year was your, your instructor. Going. And it felt right. It felt right. Mm. The only mm. thing is that I got sick. I got sick the <laughs> first day. Wow. Um, yeah. And but my instructor was he was he was very gentle. Um, I, I have to say, and I was very honoured that my last year when I was flying the Airbus three hundred and twenty before I moved to the bigger Airbus, I happened to fly him. <laughs> so and 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 so he said to me, "No, it happens. You get sick." Yeah. But with time, it will. This too shall pass. It it will pass, yeah, and it did yeah. pass. Frank, is there? I'm fascinated by the whole thing of being the X among the O's. Yeah. You know, whatever yeah. whatever the, that difference is. But in this case, she's black. Yeah. She's a woman. She's young. She is so different from everyone around her. I mean, what? How do how do we work with that? I think it's successfully. So it, it's so interesting because I think there are a number of themes coming out for me. And the first one I just want to highlight for our listeners is often when we talk about change, 
and young people, you know, making change such as this big one. I'm out of engineering, UCT, bye-bye. This is not working for me, right? Often people associate that change as, as kind of random. In other words, you know, you, you just decided this is not working for me. I'm going to go for that one. Not realizing, underlying that there's actually a mechanism right that's driving this so if we now go back to again link this decision of i'm out of uct to the flying school um and where the change formula fits in so clearly i am not I, if let me rephrase i'm dissatisfied with engineering it's not my thing i mean you were looking forward to the weekend you never <laughs> mentioned looking forward to your classes <laughs> clearly this is not for me right and i haven't given up my vision i want to fly that thing right and she didn't mention it, but I picked it up. First steps. I read about flying in the magazines. I figured out how much does it cost in the magazines, right? So you can even see, and that's what we're trying to do for our listeners to say, even a decision like that for an 18-year-old, 19-year-old, there is an underlying mechanism. And that's why we want our listeners to understand that we all can navigate change better if we realize these three important components that then, you know, overpower this resistance to change. Well, it if, was the resistance from her dad yeah, more than Absolutely, <laughs> yes, more than yourself, yeah, yeah. And of course, there, interestingly, it's good you point that, Ruda, because interesting as a child, there's a little bit of resistance in herself. It's not about what I don't want to, it's, it's not about the flying, she loves that, but it's about how am I going to come across to my dad? Mm. I respect him mm. and here am to make I him happy. going against mm. his wishes. So that can also pull a young person and say, okay, I'm going to have to do what my dad wants here, right? Although, you know, kind of what I want is, is the flying. So she didn't, she overcame also that kind of internal resistance, right? And of course, if we come back to the idea of I arrive, you know, it's only me, it's white males and I'm the only female what we see there in operation we have to go back to your being raised up and there's this amazing word called socialization and we've used it a lot on our episodes before Ruda which talks to how do people learn to navigate life we learn to navigate life by observing a mother who goes and fetches water and obviously, maybe with, with, with definitely with not here high heels, and then she's going to college, high heels, organized, high expectations. Um, and so we observe, but we also can be told A versus B. This is the right thing to do. Education is very important. You have to go to university. And so when we look at her life, there was always this idea that I can achieve things. I look at my mom, I look at my dad, right? And so when you grow up with that, what that does to a young person and to all of us, we can also have it even as grown-ups, right? Is this idea of self-efficacy, really powerful, powerful social concept that says, I can set goals and achieve them in spite of obstacles. And you also grew up with the idea that it is about me. It's not about my people, my village. Uh, may not be carrying me, you know, in your case. I mean, it wasn't that the whole village was dutifully going to the college every day. And so it was individual um, responsibility and power. Yeah, almost in, the so, motivation was internal, that mo so internal then, motivation. So then right? if you, yes. Yeah. And then if you're surrounded by people who don't look like you or whatever, whatever, you can still find it. Inside, inside yourself, yeah. yes. Because, it's a little bit uncomfortable, yeah. but inside yourself, absolutely. I think that's when you saw, you know, that um, 
the expression, and it's just so amazing for me for a 13 year old to say, I'm connecting the dots. In other words, I'm, I'm having this perspective. My mom is gone. Yo, my father can also go. And Ruda, linking it to your point, therefore I must be something myself because it's not the village that's going to make that something for myself. And that's quite powerful. And I think that's the self-efficacy that we're talking about. And again, it's one of those things that uh, we find in our research that underlying it, it has some genetic or biological component, but the majority of it, it's learned. You learn it from your parents, from caregivers, yeah. You were, what, 22 when you qualified as a pilot? And suddenly, every magazine, every newspaper, there were pictures. How did you, how did you work with that? It's difficult. It's a I, I qualified when I was 20. I don't know if it's my personality, but things like that don't really faze me. I'm the first, so what? You know? <laughs> I just wanted to become a pilot. As I say, maybe it's a personality thing. There's certain mm. things that... People say, for example, I can meet the president, and people are like, oh, you met the president. Yeah, I did. I, 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 maybe it's a, again a personality thing. I don't really get excited about certain things. I get excited when I see change, a positive change in someone's life. That moves me. But if I meet, even if I meet Barack Obama, I would have met him, but it, it's not. He's another person. He's another person. So after I qualified, um, you know, I met resistance. As I said to you, when I grew up, where I grew up, I never knew there was apartheid, racism. And I was fortunate to end up in PE because they, the owners of the school were English, very English. So British English. British yeah. English, yeah. very, very English. And so the students, the majority of them came from outside the country. Yeah. So I didn't, even, I didn't experience racism there either. Though I was the only girl most of the time, I think 90% of the time I was the only girl there. I, I didn't really experience racism. So the only time I started experiencing uh, uh, racism or resistance was when I was looking for a job. And and with that, with time, um, I mean, when I, I tried the Air Force and I got there, everything was fine, except I was told I was too short to fly for the Air Force. And I got rejected. It didn't stop there. I kept fighting, you know. So that policy was changed. I was accepted. Today, even shorter women are in the Air Force, you know. And you get to SAA and you're told, I mean, horrible things in social media. So there were were, were, um, groups that were the pilots groups. I did not belong to that group, obviously. In that group, there were people who just go after my name, you know. For, For a good 15 years, Every from time to time, my name would just pop up with someone just wants to rip me apart. Um, how did you re- how did you respond? I never. Uh, both res- I've never inside responded. and externally. I've, I've never actually responded externally. And inside yourself. And inside myself, for the longest time, I I, I was hurt. You, I was walking around very hurt, and afraid at the same time. So I had this fear because I had this thing that people are watching me. The first mistake I make. I'm going to be out of here. So I, I walked around like that for, for a very long time. So, and but that is, Frank, that's the almost the opposite of... Uh, you have the belief that I can do it yes. inside yourself and personally, but if you don't have the support of the group, whoever the group is, it just makes it 
bloody uncomfortable and hard. Bloody uncomfortable. I mean, it, it, it starts challenging that belief. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you, you really have to be, you know, strong because effectively what's happening is. Um, you don't belong here. And often people use this expression. In fact, it came out from our other guests, also Ruda, the imposter syndrome. I didn't feel, you know, I belong here. You start doubting your own abilities. So all these are eating away at your self-efficacy. And I think it's so important for our, for our listeners because often what happens is we see successful people there and we don't realize the struggles exactly as you said in the intro Ruda, to the to 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 the podcast so how are you dealing with it your self efficacy is being slow but surely it's being chipped away so for me it was the the term fake it until you make it yeah. <laughs> so i'll walk in and and it became yeah impersonation exactly that so i'll walk into dispatch where you, you know you pick up your paperwork and i'll put on this face or yeah. mm. there will be this different asnath where people put on f- a face to meet yeah. the faces <laughs> that I meet. <laughs> exactly. And, and and so I became this person who's strict, who's quiet, who's mm. but it was a way of protecting myself from, from everything else. And and then the other thing is I strived to perfect my flying, my skill itself. But the funny part is what Dr. Frank was saying here is that when even when I got compliments, it was like it didn't mean much to me. You didn't was, really I, own I, it. You I didn't, didn't own it. So because I, I had these challenges, you know, when even if your training captains don't have a problem with you, but then there's this social media where someone is going after your name. Is that part of why you are so focused on supporting young people and especially young girls to give to help them to not have to face that stuff? You've you've got um, just to uh, fill our listeners in. Um, you started a foundation, the um, and you started a college of aviation. Yes, the college I've, I've sold it, but that was the reason for that so um, my focus most of the time was on on aviation itself but then I realized with time that the challenges that some most women face it doesn't matter where you come from or your back your background our challenges are very similar and it doesn't it and does actually matter even yes, though yes. you managed to get yes, through that yes. with individual strength yes. it does it, actually matter. it does matter because if, like you were saying, that uh, you know, my self-esteem was being chipped away, slowly but surely. Um, and here I was putting on a brave face. Um, most of the time, I mean, there were times I would get, I would arrive at the airport, especially when I got to SAA. There were 800 odd of us. So chances of flying with a new captain often was, you know, on the cards. And you'd meet this guy and... Uh, Immediately, you can see there's problems here. <laughs> and he doesn't talk to you. He just greets you. He doesn't talk to you. You go to the aeroplane. The only time you speak is when you're doing standard operating procedures, when you have to call out something. Gear down, then you put the gear down. There. And it becomes that clinical um, until you fly yourself. Because you know, if the captain flies one leg, I'll have to fly the next leg. Right. So you fly the next leg and... He real, and then maybe you, you you come in and there's traffic and, and you're able to handle that because it can be overwhelming as well. And you're able to handle that. You slow down when you have to. You go down when you have to. You land. 
a perfect landing. You prove yourself. You prove yourself. And then all of a sudden, the guy is talking to you <laughs> because of what you just did. So I went through you know, situations like that. And a lot of times I went through situations like that. So what do you want to give well, the young people? So for me, it's about that belief. You know, if you can just keep that, if you believe you can achieve something, that it does not matter what's happening outside. Eventually, I flew the Airbus 34600, which is the second longest aircraft in the world. You know, um, all of a sudden, I'm flying this big thing across <laughs> oceans and go to New York, and uh, um, and what 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 is funny, and I, um, it's that not once did I feel like overwhelmed. Oh, no, 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 that I'm. I'm 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 the best or I'm, 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 I'm yeah. no I've arrived and and I, and and I asked one captain when we were flying out of Mauritius and I said to him why is it that pilots sometimes behave like they're like second to god because you 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 get that mm. <laughs> so he says to me you must remember that when you're flying this machine right now we're sitting in I think we're flying a 330 this machine we're sitting in um the passengers you're carrying You're looking, you're caring. I think he said something like over $1.5 billion dollars on your shoulders. Um, so, but I, I think it's my, where I come from, because I, 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 I remember whenever I walked around the 340-600, I just felt humbled. That's all I felt. I just felt humbled. But at the same time, because of the experiences um, that I went through in life, um, I'm fortunate to have a partner who's very spiritual. So I was going through a very rough time by the time I sold the school because there were challenges of payments and it just became very ugly. And um, and at the time, reputation was still very important to me. The one evening he came to the house and he just dumped Wayne Dyer's book in front of me, Dr. Wayne Dyer, he said, read this, you know. And at first I read the book, it was about inspiration It's about, um, you know, excuses be gone. It's, it's quite a thick book, excuses be gone. And the day it registered that I'm actually a spiritual being having a human experience, that was, that was it for me. That was the milestone for me because I stopped caring about what people say around me. That's why people ask me, how can you be so calm with people who did one, two, three to you? Because a lot has happened. And to me, it's they've done the best with what they had, whatever information they had. If if you grew up being told that this type of this colored skin, this person with this color, you know, on their skin is, you know, below you or you, you know, you brought up that way, that's all you know, you know, and that's it's up to you to consciously make a decision to say, am I going to live like that or not? And a lot of people choose. To live like that. Just say the name of the book that made such a difference. Uh, the name of the guy is Dr. Wayne Dyer, but the book is, is three books in one. But there's inspiration, and there's what that the one called inspiration, and the other one is called Excuses Be Gone. We created the Change Exchange because at Bright Rock we love change. And we wanted to know and share everything there is to know about change and how it impacts our lives. We call it Change Science. 
change science shows that everyone can get better at navigating change and that in all moments of change, there's always opportunity. To learn more about change science, visit the Change Exchange, our free resource that's filled with tips, tools and inspiring stories to help you navigate change in your life. Just like the stories in this podcast, you can find many more on changeexchange.co.za or on your preferred podcast platform. Just search for Change Exchange. Made just for you by BrightRock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Welcome back to Change in One Generation, where our guest is South Africa's first black female pilot, Asnath Mahapa. You told us earlier that you have actually made practical changes yes. in your life. Yes. You meditate, you, you, you're very conscious of, of this shift. Yes. Explain that a little bit. So it, it came from this whole thing when I was, you know, you discover that you're a spiritual being. And so what are the practices? What is it that one needs to do to keep yourself centered? Because the world out there is crazy. So I see the crazy world. And sometimes because I'm a human being, well, I'm still spiritual, but I'm having this human experience. You tend to find yourself wallowing and complaining. You find someone who's not happy and then you join the conversation and it, <laughs> and it just goes south from there. You know, Nothing becomes bad. But I'm more conscious now of that because some of the decisions I've made is your med- meditation. I-, I wake up for everybody in the house every morning. I've been doing that just a couple of years now. And uh, I take time to just quieten down. And when something happens during the day, because of that practice, if something annoys me, if I feel frustrated, someone drives, you know, cuts mm. you, you know, and then you get annoyed. What is it? Where is it coming from? You can't, it, it cannot possibly be this person who just cut in front of you. It came from somewhere. In that book, one of the books, where Daya says, he gives an example to say, if you squeeze an orange, what will come out? Orange juice. Never apple juice, never <laughs> never lemon juice. So when when we squeeze you and anger comes out, what is happening? So um so I'm conscious of that. And because of that, because of this practice, even my reputation now is not if I find myself feeling, oh what are people going to think? Whoa, 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 what's happening? But how did you how did you make that change? How did you find because so many people think this would be a good idea yeah. <laughs> but uh, we just don't manage it it's, it's it's it was because i had lived in so much it it was not anger it was it was i was afraid most of the time tension I, tension and, because mm. i felt like my career could end anytime you know um and and exactly that because in the beginning something that i didn't mention in the beginning i mean I got failed. Someone just said, you know, you're not meeting our requirements. You can't fly. Then, you know, kick me out. Um, and then I was without a job. And and that stuck with me. As much as when that was done, I met, It was. It's, it's weird how the universe works. I came across a white man who was supposed to fly with me and tell me what was wrong with my flying and then write the recommendation to SAA. 
the same white man who was much older. He lived, he was in apartheid, he, was, he probably even flew in the, in, in the defense force at the time. He knew what was happening. He understood that it had nothing to do with my skill. People did not want me in this career. So he sat me down and he said to me, I'm going to tell you something that I'm sure you haven't really <laughs> picked up. And he said, now you're coming as a black girl and you want to sit next to us. He said, my girl, there's nothing wrong with your flying. It's the men you want to sit next to who are having an issue with you. It was a turnaround moment for me. And this was shortly after I was put on the front pages of the newspaper. So people think everything is going well. In the meantime, <laughs> the very same people who put me on the front page, I wanted to get rid of me quietly. And that, that you know, sort of resuscitated something within me. And So how did you get through and, that? And, how and did you... I, I, I just started fighting. It goes to um, what Dr. Frankl said in Men's Search for Meaning, is that when things happen to you, you must start asking yourself, what is life asking of me? the time I'm alone, there's no other black girl who's coming after me. So if I'd given up that time, that's what came to me. If I'd given up that time, it, it meant nothing was ever going to happen. So I took that responsibility. That it was my responsibility to kick all these doors open. Um, so Frank, what are, what are you hearing? <laughs> I think so much. Such it's an amazing so, story. Absolutely. And I think for me, the main theme uh, coming out it's real around how often, and you've said it, you know, as not you've said it several times, how often the general public, us, when we read about or listen to it on the news or see it on TV, of a successful person doing one, two, three, we often don't realize what we see is just the tip of the iceberg. We don't see the fighting. We don't see the stress. We don't see in this instance, what you know, it what it takes being constantly, you know, under threat, um, being constantly challenged. You don't belong here. One of the things of what it takes to survive and be here to testify and share, you know, this amazing story we are listening to, is the power of resilience. What is resilience? Simply put, resilience is a process of positively adapting to stressors, to trauma, to tragedy. And, and in research, we use the word positively adapting deliberately because we essentially saying Asnat and Joyce may have gone through the same or similar experiences. What is it that makes Asnat kick doors, not crumble and, and, and make a success in spite of the challenges, right? Whereas Joyce might struggle. And that quality, we call that resilience. For me, two things really come out of how Asnad managed to deal with it. The first, I wrote here, identity. So identity is being challenged. You know who you are. You know what you're capable of doing. You know seeing that thing flying there. And you said, I want to do the very same thing. You know your parents, how they raised you and all that. But suddenly you've got all these circumstances that are challenging who you are, right? And you overcame because you held on strong to who you believed you were. So much so that you said, you know, I'll put up this face and go and I, I do what I needed to do. I think the other interesting thing is the piece you gave us now. You know, I've been talking a lot on this series about social support. We never self-made. 
there's always someone who come along our journey and make the Lord a little bit easy. They don't do it for us. And listen to this amazing conversation. 2003, this gentleman sits you down and she said, this is what's going on. What a gift he gave you, right? Because all of a sudden, it all makes sense. And now I am able to deal with it better. It boosted your resilience. It boosted and, uh, the ability of you, perspective. You, you can stop doubting yourself. Yes, it's not it about not you. It is not because of yeah. Yes, it's not about you. Absolutely. And we see social support in operation there. And often you remember what I always say, change and navigating change well. It's a team sport. It's not about you. So we are hearing, of course, some listeners will think, but you just read a book. That social support ideas coming from the author of the book. You spoke about your partner who's spiritual. Then this gentleman came in. And of course, Ruda, we mustn't lose the idea of deliberately saying, I'm a spiritual being in a physical world. Here is the change happening within me. There's a crazy world there. I'm not going to participate in it. And she starts practices like meditation that help you navigate a, a, a crazy world. Our listeners should not lose how much effort is required, especially for somebody on, you know, ENCA, front page of a magazine. It's so easy to be in this world, but you are choosing a very different spiritual journey and that helps you navigate all this challenge. I think it's quite remarkable and it really underlines again, you can see the D, dissatisfaction status quo, the vision I have for myself to not be part of this crazy world and taking the baby steps. I read the book, spirituality, meditation, and, and it all goes absolutely remarkable, Ruda. Okay, so with that um, lesson for our listeners that um, <laughs> go and do your homework <laughs> from day to day. Asna, thank you so much. It was really a fascinating conversation and about much more than just being the, the first pilot, yes. a black female pilot and all of that, but about the, the inner world yes. that, that goes with that, that, that also was needed to support that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, thank Just, you for having me. Yeah, yeah it's, it's yeah. A, absolutely it's, remarkable. It's, it's, um, yeah, if if you can't deal with the inner person, yeah, you defeated. There's that African proverb that says, "If there's no enemy within, the enemy outside can do us no harm." Yeah. Yeah, I think that's how it goes, yeah. And for me, just to build on that in closing, Ruda, I think, folks, what you're hearing is on this podcast series, we're talking about navigating change. There's external change of moving to a new town, of changing jobs, of stressors in your workplace, and you have to deal with them, of moving to UCT if you grow up in a, in a, in a kind of rural village. But I hope this amazing story of Asnet also tells you this very same formula of change that you are talking about, you saw it in action, in inner change, of choosing a certain type of lifestyle. In this instant, if we can call it just a spiritual type of lifestyle, this is how I choose. And you embark on that inner work. Again, the formula of change you are talking about, very applicable to external changes as well to inner change that is often required to survive in this crazy world. Thank you very much, Dr. Frank, and thank you again, Asnaf. And to the listeners, thank you for giving us your time, which is important in your life. And I hope you learned something. I definitely did. Join us for the other episodes in this series. You, I'm sure you've heard by now that the stories are totally remarkable and the interactions are 
sometimes just completely surprising. So thank you for being with us. Until next time on The Change Exchange. <laughs>